This is Paradoxical, and I'm your host, Steve McCready. Today, I'm joined by Elaine Fry from Luft Balloon. Elaine, how's it going? Fantastic. Great to be here. Um, I've been uh, looking forward to this conversation for a while. I, I, I just love the Venn diagram intersection that your business is of uh, design, fun, and making a difference. I think it's it's really cool. And so I appreciate you coming on and having the opportunity to talk about, about all of those things today. Thank you so much for having me. Where I want to want to start is where I usually like to is give me the, the background for you and the origin story of, of your journey in getting to starting Luft. Sure. So we all know origin stories are never a linear line. They're very circuitous. And so mine is the same in that I never thought that I would own a balloon business <laughs> and nor be doing what I am today. But it's interesting how pursuit of passion and focus led me to balloons. So I think for me, what was unique was that I really wanted a creative business and I wanted to start a business. And those were the only two things that I knew. And so the subject matter was rather unclear. And so what I did was just start start with things that brought me interest. And, and after a couple of failed businesses and, and a lot of curiosity, led me to discover a void in the market with balloons that could be answered with color, with the dialing up of such a nostalgic, but rudimentary kind of stuck in the eighties product. And that's kind of the, the, the elevator answer. (laughs) And so tell us what you do with your business and your combination of online and retail, but what are the, you know, the sorts of things that you as left balloon do with the balloons? So we are a balloon outfit that aims to be bold in color and innovators in design and drivers in social change with the medium of balloons. What that means is that we create balloon art in big sculptural moments for events, and then we pare down that event design into a smaller burst form that we can then offer to our retail community at a fraction of the cost for those celebrating a baby shower or an anniversary or anything that we can celebrate in life. And so that's what we do. I want to encourage anyone who is listening to go as we're talking here. Uh, if you've got Instagram, fire up Instagram and go to their account, which is, I believe, luft.balloon. Is that correct? You got and, it. Yeah. And and take, take a look because I, I think having the visual to go with our conversation will help and you can see the kinds of things that they do and how just cool and big and, and bold and colorful they really are. There's the balloon piece, and then there's the doing good in the world piece. For you, your organization, as it says on your website, right, that each year you select a measurable give back focus to strengthen the community. So talk some about, one, where you decided to bring that into things, and two, how that process works for you on an annual basis and what that looks like in practice. Sure. So when I started Luft, I really wanted some kind of give back component, but I didn't know really what it was. It seemed to me that you just pick something that you buy one, give one, that there was no real connection to that movement. And so I was really hemming and hawing or trying to figure out what that was. And and it's funny with business, sometimes if you just let the business roll and let it do its thing, because I believe it's a living, breathing organism, it'll tell you the answer. And that's what happened. And so in 2020, with the pandemic, I felt really at odds and in conflict with the success and growth that we were having. We grew three times during the pandemic. But there was still a lot of things going on with the front line, with our feelings, with death. It didn't seem like I could celebrate that without somehow contributing some joy or what little joy I could. And it, it it just dawned on me one time after thinking like, what could I do? What could I do? Well, duh, I just create our big balloon art uh, that we're known for on the exterior of the hospitals to brighten the day of the frontline workers walking in and out of the hospital. And so then we calligraphied messages on the balloons and, you know, created this visual connection through balloons. We're using balloons as the medium to connect the outside 
people, all of us who are stuck in our homes to those frontline workers to say, hey, we, we, we stand by you and we love you and we support you and we appreciate you. And in that moment, it dawned on me that you use what your business is as the tool for the give back. And so from that moment on, I knew balloons become a dialogue starter or the connector. It's not luft, it's the balloons connecting the two sides of the mission. So for this, it was trying to connect the community with the frontline workers. And then the next year, we wanted to connect neighborhoods with their local small businesses. And so they would nominate a local small business that they loved, and they would tell us why. And then we would go balloon bomb them with a magical art piece and tell them why their customers love them. And so what I found out is that if we use balloons as the vehicle to connect, that made me feel like we were doing good because it wasn't about putting luft on display or like, look at us and look at how much we've accomplished. We're purely the connector. And so that's how we really started to find out our true soul and our DNA of how to have a business that's not just for profit, but for profit people and purpose. Yeah. Bringing this a highlighter of sorts, I guess, in a, in a very colorful round way to these different types of businesses and these different situations and such. I'm curious while we're, while we're talking about this specifically, like what for you, do you, do you have any thoughts or ideas since you work with balloons all the time and all day, what is it about balloons that evokes that sort of reaction of, of joy and happiness and such for people? Do you think? Well, that's easy. I mean, it's because we are born and what is at our birthday? It's balloons. And so balloons are imprinted in our memory and during all the milestones as a signifier celebration. And I think that there is just this nostalgia and this kid-like quality to them that make you smile. They're big. They float. They just make an impact in your visual environment. And so I think that it doesn't matter what age you are, you, you're automatically reminded of happiness. I think that the, something about the, the color and the air aspect of them, even whether they're helium or, or air, that seems to bring, a, again, a certain literal lightness or something to them. For the designs of your installations, how, how does your design process work and how has it evolved over time? I have two degrees in landscape architecture. And so in that field, you're really looking at how you can modify and manipulate space three-dimensionally, whether it's through hardscape, vegetation. You're, you're really choreographing how you move through our urban environment. And that is just so intriguing to me, but it took a long time for that to be realized in, in vegetation form. And so with balloons, you can do the same thing, but it's ephemeral and it's, it's very present moment and it, it's for that day. And so when I was applying kind of my design aesthetic and logic, what I would do is look at how can we use balloons to really meld with the architecture and respond so that you're you're manipulating space in that same sense, but it's not like an addition, that it's intertwined. And so to me, I think that's part of our unique aesthetic is that there's this respect for the existing space and how can the balloons complement, amplify, make it amazing, make that wow moment. When I when I go on site for a site visit, I am really looking at tie points and how I can draw the eye to places that you might not see as you're going through space. A lot of us never even look up on our daily walks. And so balloons and going up into the sky or up into a building or inside transform the way that you're going to experience that. And so the process is I just go on a site visit and I look and I say, what are we highlighting? What are we trying to accomplish here? And then I suggest how I think it might be best to do that and then do a sketch. And then the day of I am, I'm building and sculpting on site and 95% of the time I install identical to the proposal. So it, it's kind of like a puzzle, an engineering puzzle. Thankfully, the balloons are light. Much, much easier uh, building materials to be working with and moving around than, than it would be if they were. For sure, uh, yes. Definitely, it sounds like a very much a, a design and, and really a, awareness of the environment element that comes into play here, which is, I think, one of those things that, again, is not obvious if you don't no design or you wouldn't think is going on there. But as soon as you say that, I'm like, oh, of course, that makes a lot of sense. And I know enough about things like architecture to see how 
really being mindful of what is the environment and what is the ways you want to influence people's experiencing of or engaging with the environment works. So with these installations, what, I don't know if there's a typical, but what is a typical or average size as far as like how many balloons are usually involved? How long does it take for you to get one of these set up and in place? Well, I like to think of each installation as a piece of art. So that really guides the design. So there is no standard. There's certainly standards at our retail level, but in the big installation art, this is something that I see as singular. So the the amount of balloons is just based off of budget. You know, what what people want to throw at something. We'd love to do the biggest balloon installation in the world someday, but you know, it's the constraint is usually budget. The amount of balloons, we have a standardized process as far as how many balloons per line. We kind of talk in, in terminology of a line, and that has a certain package of 11-inch balloons and 5-inch balloons and, and big globes. And so that creates that variance in texture and size. And then color is our specialty. So when we're mixing colors, if somebody says they want red, white, and blue, we're mixing three or four reds and three or four blues so that when it's in that big scale, you're seeing this kind of a a blend. And that also helps to manipulate space because it's not a flat color. And I'm going to want to talk some about the retail versus these bigger installations in in a little bit here. But for you, like the first time that you did one of these installations. I I imagine you were at that space of like having the idea, but the first time you did it, what was that experience for you of seeing it actually in place? And like, here's this thing that I've created. Uh, What was that like for you? I remember very distinctly. So it was one of terror. Will this thing fall down? And then one of just awe that balloons, when people are talking over the phone or looking at 2D presentations, or even looking on our Instagram, you cannot capture the way that three-dimensional space is transformed with balloons. There is a girth. So people don't think about like, oh, I'm putting a balloon. Like it can be, you know, three to four feet of thickness just on a wall. And so that, it felt amazing to say, wow, I can have this much of an impact in an art way. And then the other thing was, will this fall down? (laughs) You know, like the beginning process of installing was trying to understand material and fishing line and and the the strain, the stressors, you know, like where can you put the load when you build a piece and how much can that be a singular piece versus being multiple pieces? And, And that just all came with pure build in the field and, and, and learn as you go. I can imagine that there's been some situations where that happens in the middle of trying to get an ins- installation together, where has that required some, shall we say, improvisation in the moment for you at times? You know, I always, we scout out and have a meeting ahead of time. And so I am constantly looking at tie points. And I think for some reason, I just have this ability to understand if I tie there and then I cross tie here and I wanted to do this. It's just part of, I guess, my art ability and why I just fell in love with it because it, it, it came easy to me to understand, okay, let's do this whole thing crawling up this way or that way. So it really does sound like a, a thing where for you, as you've referenced before, you've been able to take your background and your education and training landscape architecture and such and translate some of that awareness and some of those skills in a visual sense here and then apply it in this environment. Yeah, I, w- I would hope so with a with a degree from from RISD, there better be something out of that, right? <laughs> no, right. but it was, I mean, it, that school transformed the way that I look at materiality. What grad school really taught me is that you're learning a design logic. It has nothing to do with what the medium is. And that just really opened my eyes to how, how you can apply art to, to anything, such as balloons. For those of us who aren't design educated, but are curious about these things, what might be a couple of things from a just ways of seeing or experiencing or looking at our environment that you could offer to help people think about or look at things in a little bit of a different, more design oriented way? Like what are the things that you see or notice that someone like myself would not have any awareness of unless you pointed it out to me? You know, I, I always say that you walk into an, in, like somebody who's done an, an interior design of a, let's say a, a room and you're like, gosh, this room is amazing. I don't understand how, but it feels amazing because it's all of those layered decisions 
and nuances that that interior designer knows from from pattern play to textures to the way that she is also he or she is also manipulating space with furniture. You you really can't explain it except that I'm doing my job if you walk in and you feel a sense of calm or a sense of peace or a sense of joy or a sense of excitement. That is when I think artists succeed. When they're really evoking a certain a certain type of feeling or a series of a series of feelings. Yeah, you got it. And it seems like that's that's kind of the the secret or the the thing that artist or design oriented folks get is how to create that, how to build that in in a space, whatever you know, whatever we're talking about, whether it's balloons or something else. But it's always just something that's interesting to me because that's a thing. Like I, I go into a room and I can totally tell you how it feels to me, but yeah, I can't tell you why it feels that way usually. Right. Sometimes right. I we, have a, we have a number of people who will say. Oh, I passed a balloon piece, but I know it wasn't the left. It wasn't left. Or, oh, I saw, I saw an installation over here that was totally left, wasn't it? And I was like, yep. And so like we have a signature and a style because that is infused with so much intention in how we are building and how we are constructing. And if you put it next to somebody who might be um, more on the technical side building a column or an arch, you'll see that visual difference. You know, a column and an arch is perfect for certain moments, but we are trying to really push the envelope of design with balloons. And so we certainly have that, what I like to call that that, that signature feel. You know, I want you to feel like if you're not looking at balloons, that you're looking at a sculpture, that you're unclear as to how it was constructed or how it's hanging. You know, those are all part of the magic of creating a piece of art. And I would, I would say you succeeded that from the things that I've seen. And again, I'll, I'll tell everyone to, to check out the, the Instagram and you can see, cause there, and there is both very clearly a distinctive like, design voice that's there. Like I can see that in those, but also with the different spaces where you put them or different ways that they get set up, they also do have their own sort of uniqueness to them. Now, I know you'd said that the biggest constraint here typically with folks is budget, but what sort of like, just from a general range standpoint for these, you know, these custom installations like this, what is the sort of range cost-wise that they can, that they can run? So our custom installs start at 750 and then we've done installations all the way up to about, you know, 10 grand. So it, it really just depends on the space. You want to make sure that if you're doing an installation that it doesn't feel dinky. You know, so that is part of the site visit is talking through how do you maximize whatever that budget might be and how do we make sure that it has its own moment with respect to the larger space. So, so it's all about, it's all about volume. And how long does a a project generally take from, you know, the initial outreach of a potential customer who, who's interested to the actual installation? What's the typical timeline there? It's pretty quick. You know, it, it involves a reach out. What are you looking for? And then a site visit. That's the biggest thing so that we really talk through goals. And I want to see how people flow through the space and what they're doing. You know, I try to push people towards not doing threshold moments because that means you are going through it and it's done. And then it, people won't take photos with it. People love to take a selfie with balloons. So if there's a way to incorporate it more into a design moment, that's what I encourage clients to do. After that, I do a sketch and a proposal. And if all looks good, we just sign a contract and get the date held. And when then we do a color mock-up. So you get a, a real color mock-up because the color obviously is important. And then it's just a waiting game until the day, two days before the event. And my team will blow up and construct everything. And then I am on site and I build the whole install and then might have some helpers with kind of judging. That's our their final layer of perfecting the installation. But I do all of the hanging still. And it's hard to it's hard to train on how you see where something should go. So I and I love it. So those big pieces, that's what gives me fuel and and, and passion. So with your, your team, how, how many people do you have overall within, within your organization, including your retail employees and such? And we'll let's shift to talking more about that kind of stuff now. So we are a small but mighty team. One of the things that I really pride ourselves in is that being a young you know, kid with my dad, he would tell me to 
build something and show me how to build it, then he would take it apart and then make me build it myself. And so in that process, that very frustrating process, I learned that you really have to look at systems and flow. And because of that, we are always fine tuning every single little part of the assembly line. And I look at everything as how efficiently working smarter, not harder, can we get these things done? So we have a lot of tricks of the trade that are secret that a lot of people don't do that I know that people do not do in the balloon industry. That being said, that allows us to be small, but mighty. So we are a team of, there's about six or seven between full-time and part-time. And then that ebbs and flows during holiday season with retail. So we will probably load up quite a bit during end of October through December because we do a Santa Wonderland, which is this is the fourth or fifth year that also started during the pandemic, which is a immersive art experience. It was it was born out of me needing to create something that I was the director of and not having a client. I had been wanting a little tangent here. I had been wanting to create a balloon room. I had this idea of this all balloon walls and ceiling room. It had been in my, the back of my head forever. And when the pandemic hit and I, we couldn't go see Santa because Santa was a real person and that was not allowed, I thought, oh, what if I create a balloon room and there's a balloon Santa and people can come in in groups in 15 minute increments and you know clean up after and, and sanitize, but have a moment of still seeing Santa. And it was so wildly popular and there were no tears because no kids were crying about Santa that we just, it stuck. And so uh, that balloon room transformed into Santa Wonderland, which is now in our fourth or fifth year. And so we, that is a big time for us when our team amps up as far as helping cover tickets and, and people coming in to experience that. It sounds really, really cool. Yeah. It's like 3000 balloons and I just get to create to my heart's content and I get to try out ideas and really create this wonderlust of somebody coming in and looking around and being like, gosh, there's balloons everywhere. And there's moments we do like a scavenger hunt for the kids where there'll be 11 to 15 hidden balloons. Like look for the Grinch, look for this frosty. And when they find all of them, they get a treat at the end. So there's that interactive component. You know, we have a, a day where you can come in with your dog because that's really special and take your picture with your dog and Santa. And this year we're having our first real Santa. So that will be interesting to see the merge of balloon Santa with real Santa. But it's, it's a lot of fun. To me, the holidays are that extension of balloons anyway, you know, that most people associate balloons with birthdays and celebration. And it hasn't totally transcended over to holidays you know, yes, with Mother's Day or Valentine's Day, but I'm trying to have people look at it as an opportunity for design during Christmas and Hanukkah and Thanksgiving. You know, these things you wouldn't associate balloons with actually can have a moment too. Well, and especially it makes sense since one, festive, but two, like those are events that have very specific color references in our minds. And so they do seem like some, some really interesting opportunities to explore and work with. Yeah. And of course, you know, I love a good moment where we can rethink the ordinary. So if you go on our website now, for example, Halloween is, is around the corner. You can see that I'm really trying to push. It's not just orange and black. There are tons of different color palettes and there's different themes and, and how, how giddy you can get about just smiling at, you know, a decoration. So for you, the, the fact that you are doing this work where it's like your work is about bringing color and brightness and joy and like highlighting celebratory festive sorts of things. How for you, do you think that that affects you kind of on a more personal level, getting to do work that's connected to that? I feel very grateful and very thankful that I have been able to listen to this business and see where it has taken me. And it has really transformed how I want to be and how I want to act and lead. And it's a constant reminder of the present moment, which I think is very important in our lives. We've got one shot, and one day and one moment having this conversation with you is, is bringing me joy and excitement. And, and I'm thankful for that. And 
it makes me acutely aware that we are intercepting people's moments of celebration and that we are part of that. I move to tears when I when I do deliveries and, and get to see the recipient or talk to somebody who's just kicked cancer or somebody who didn't and is celebrating that they're in 18 months, you know, of battling pancreatic cancer. And and, you know, after talking with that lady, you know, we went back and balloon bombed them even more just as a you've got this and we know that the time is limited and it's such an odd connector to human life that I, I feel, like I said, just immense gratitude to be part of connecting people with balloons. It seems so rudimentary, but it's so layered and so thick with humanity because you can't send these balloons in an Amazon package. You can't have an Uber pick it up. They won't pick it up. It really is still an old item that, you know, like it's, it's, it's still making us connect physically. Right. It's very, yeah, it's very physical. It's very visceral. And it's, it's a thing that emphasizes these, these events and emphasizes aspects of them. And this is again, where the design and your design background becomes probably so, so valuable, but it really sounds like you recognize the good fortune that you have to be able to be connected to some of these events and really seeing your job as a way of highlighting or emphasizing key pieces of it. So you said, it's not about us. It's about the event. We're just providing a way of em- emphasizing that or kind of in- enhancing that, which is, is really cool. You're, you're welcome to come, come on team loft, Steve, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'll remember next time I'm in Chicago, yes. um, which is, which is wh- where you're, you're, you're based for your, these custom installations. How far out do you geographically or have you geographically ranged to do them? Well, so before the pandemic, there were only a few of us outfitters that really did this big or did organic art. I I should step back and say that this idea of like the inner installation is considered organic. That's the terminology. When the pandemic kind of came about, a lot of people, single people were able to teach themselves online and kind of how to do this. And it's a very easy entry field if you're doing it by yourself. That so that being said, now you can find anyone in any city to do something organic. Now the levels vary for sure, but it doesn't make sense to have us fly somewhere to do something. I mean, we will. We are definitely probably more economical than anyone on the ground there anyway. But there's usually people in every city. And so our stomping grounds are are purely Chicago for the most part. So when you started, were you just doing the custom installations? Did the retail come later or how did, how did that tie into things? So it first started as retail because I have a love to sell things. I was selling things out of, I mean, who didn't have a radio flyer wagon? I was selling embossed stationery to my neighbors and they would begrudgingly buy it. So I had this love for selling and excitement when somebody would buy something. And so That's what I originally went in. What drew me to balloons was that there was a rudimentary color palette. You could only buy large quantities. The tones never matched over any bag that you purchased. And you can really only get them at uh, Target or Party City, which are all from China. And when I started exploring how can I make a different color palette? You know, I looked into R&D. Apparently, it's about a million dollars to manufacture a new color of balloons. Okay, well, that's not going to happen. But I discovered that if you stuff one balloon inside another, it mixes the colors. And then all of a sudden, my mind exploded. Okay, now we're onto something where you can create incredible color palettes. You're no longer stuck with red, orange, yellow, you know, Roy G. Bib. And so I designed... Back then, my initial before events, I really wanted to sell a product that was air-based because helium is a non-renewable resource and I wanted people to see balloons in a different way. And so I designed a garland of balloons that you would, a kit that you put together and I sold it on Etsy. So this is before you saw them all through, you know, Amazon and Target today. But that was my entry into balloons was creating these beautiful palettes of color And I tried to do Renegade and I failed miserably. I sold nothing. And the person next to me selling soy candles had their best year yet. And I 
I really took stock of like, what am I doing wrong? And it turns out today, nothing, you know, I, I tend to be a little bit ahead of the curve and visionary, but to a disadvantage, you know, which is fine. You know, it's not like I need to make millions and millions of dollars. That's not the objective, but thinking outside of the box is what excites me the most. It's just that I realized that the time we weren't there yet for people to understand using balloons with air. And so at that time, that organic balloon trend really came about and that excited me. And I, I remember sitting down with my husband and he was like, well, if you do events, you're going to be working all weekend. No, 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 no. I'm not going to work on the weekends. He's like, you don't want to work on the weekends. No, I don't. And then now all I do is work on the weekends, but it, it just excited me into my core. And so then I followed the organic balloon trend and said, okay, well, this wholesale model is not working or it worked, but it, it just, it wasn't working for the, the effort. And so that's when I started to really understand that analogy that it's this like living, breathing organism. Like I almost see it like it's like a jellyfish. It's pulsating and moving through this water. And like, if you don't respect and follow this thing that you're building and you try to control it too much, that's when you can fail. And so I got on that trend, but I still loved the, cons- the, the, the idea of selling something to somebody individual. I, I was very at conflict during that time with, well, my art is only for somebody who can afford something a thousand dollars and more. And that doesn't seem fair. So I was always trying to figure out the retail component. And at that time I was doing just bouquets and helium. And I thought, you know, what is the most painful thing about going to party city? The fact that you have to go there, the fact that you have to wait in line, the fact that nothing's in stock and the fact that things are not curated. And so even though the retail component wasn't really working, I said, I want to build this tech savvy builder that would allow a consumer to say, I want to make those choices. I don't want somebody else to prescribe, oh, I can only buy this bundle or this color. And so I designed this entire builder that allows you to do that and you control everything. And, you know, that one fell on its face too, or it just didn't have the eyes on it. Well, lo and behold, the pandemic came and all the events went away. And what was sitting there in the background? That builder. And it allowed people to make their bouquets and send them to their loved ones for birthdays and all that, you know, from afar. And so the retail component then started to grow. You know, I was at that point where you have these events and you have this helium and there was such a disconnect. And I was just plagued with how do you make this one business? It just didn't seem connected. And again, following the pandemic, I created two products one called the crappy happy bouquet, which was a poop emoji and smiley face balloons. And it basically was, Hey, things are really crappy right now, but you know, this is a little bit of joy to get you through today. And then the other was a bag of fun, which is a bunch of loose balloons of all different sizes for kids to play with. Because if you've ever played living room volleyball, you cannot hurt anything with a balloon. And so those two things took off like wildfire. And then I was really down one day as we all were during the pandemic. I was working a ton and the only one out of the house, it seemed like. And I made an installation on my fence of yellow smiley face balloons and just put it up there. And everyone kept commenting about it and thought it was so wonderful. And I was like, you know what? These yellow balloons are so bright on the front fence. I bet you other people would want to put it on their fence. So I just threw it up on a whim on our website and we sold over 2000 during that year of the pandemic. And I realized, ah, I can pare down my big art and make it accessible at a smaller scale and put it on the front of our yard. Again, it became a visual connector between people who were, you know, we're all stuck inside, but they were trying to share joy through putting some balloons on their fence for their neighbor, for their neighborhood. And it just kept growing from there. And so now I feel like the retail component really speaks to the art component and they are very connected. And I'm able to offer, you know, balloon art at a very small, small, small price point. 
So it's something that allows you to really broaden your range of basically making, gives you some making your, your products and what you do really making the whole idea of it accessible to really to everyone, which is, which is really cool. I'm, I'm curious, why have retail location versus just doing it online? Not a suggestion that you should just, that's a, you know, a deliberate choice. And obviously there's overhead that comes with, with having physical locations versus doing online. Sure. So, I mean, I, there's always a last minute person with a party, right? Think about like, oh crap, I didn't get balloons or cake for this weekend. So it's it's just offering that last minute moment of I can I can step in here and get something. Or it's for the person who really can't is very indecisive. I mean, heck, I can't make a decision on what to do in my living room. You know, I use that analogy all the time that I am just paralyzed when it comes to making decisions of picking out furniture or rug colors or what have you. And that translates to some of our customers. I don't know what colors, I don't know how much, you know, and sometimes you just need to talk it through. And so I love the fact that there is that human connection. And I do think that that will be the way of being able to expand. There is a scalability to what I'm doing right now. We're pausing because it's important to take breathers, slow down to speed up. And so we're in one of those years where we are enjoying what we've built and the pace of it. And I'm trying to turn off my entrepreneurial brain for a moment, which is hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I needed to stop. Okay. I think you made some really good, good points here about where retail has value. And I think in this, this is a thing that some businesses, in my opinion, have, have really lost sight of is there are elements to a retail location that cannot really be replicated effectively online. The immediacy piece, even via Amazon, the being able to, you know, be in that situation of, yeah, I need something for this party. I don't know. I don't know anything about colors. Help, you know, and, and really having people who can do that and having a space where they know, okay, I can go here and I know I'll get some support and I'll get something that's cool and festive and different is a very, very real quantifiable value, I think. Yeah. And, and I think also it's an opportunity that once somebody walks in just to get balloons that we can say, we do so much more than that. And to really understand the connection to the B Corp movement and, you know, we're trying to change the experience of when you walk into a balloon shop so that it's joyful and fun and smart, you know, that I always give the analogy of cupcakes and donuts in Chicago, at least you had Dunkin' Donuts or a box of cupcakes that you would get at the grocery store. And that were your options. And then all of a sudden people said, Hey, I can make a better tasting donut or cupcake and I can make it experiential and I can make it fun. And like, just a, a thing that you go do. And now we have dozens of donut and cupcake shops and everyone's got their favorite and their loyalties, but you, it's about experience. And I think the pandemic taught us that yes, you do need the online component, but you need the experiential component just as much because at the end of the day, it's just us and our connections that we leave this earth with. So hopefully we can provide a space where that joy is being created and directed and purchased, but it's, it's a moment that's not a chore. I don't mean to harp on party city, but you know, there are a lot of comments out there about how it's just miserable to go in there and get your order taken care of. And half of the things are not even in stock. So it, it's just not enjoyable. And what we want to do is if you have a party, it shouldn't be stressful. It should be joyful. So we're trying to intersect all those pain points and make them joyful. Now, yeah, I, I would have to agree. I've had a couple of experiences with, with Party City and we have even a location here that's newer and it's in this very big space and you would think like, oh, this would be great. And it's just not a great experience ever. So do you have in, in your mind, I know you said you're kind of you know pausing that part right now, but do you have for yourself a vision of how much you would like to expand over time, the, the retail presence that you have and, and kind of what your big vision is for that? You know, I have been really looking at what does success mean? And I think that in entrepreneurship, it's always defined as growth and how fast you grow. And I don't think that's the case unless, you know, you're in a, a like, bigger, bigger, bigger small business. And I mean, more, you know, tech funding, all that at my level, I am really looking at hitting the plateaus 
and then staying in a plateau for a period of time, because I think that it allows you to reflect on how much you've accomplished. It allows you to feel like a normal human because entrepreneurs tend to think, grow, grow, grow. Oh, I got to try this idea. I got to do this. I got, and you always feel behind. I don't at this moment have a defined plan. I do in the back of my head, but I'm allowing myself to really kind of just revel in the fact that, you know, I remember sitting on the floor of a artist studio where I couldn't afford furniture. I, I could, but I could afford a business coach to help me with numbers pregnant with my third kid, crying hormonal and saying, you want me to sell $20,000 worth of balloons by December? Are you nuts? And she said, just write it down. We'll just commit to it. You you have to commit to something and you got to manifest it. And we blew that number out of the, out of the water after the end of the year. And so it really taught me that we're so much bigger than that now. And so you can go farther and can get bigger. But if we don't, you know, celebrate, you know, take my own advice of, what we're doing for other people, but celebrate what we've done and accomplished. What's the point then? I think that question of, of how we define success is such a important and and ultimately personal one. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, it sounds like that's something that's really on, on your mind and relatedly, or at least I think, I think relatedly on your Instagram, you are pretty personal in what you share is a lot of stuff about what's going on with you and your life and such, which I, I appreciate and enjoy. It really makes the business feel more personable and, and accessible. But I got the sense from this recent trip that you had um, documented some of there that that experience was maybe somewhat impactful for you. And I'm curious to, to hear a little bit about that if you're open sharing. Well, I'd love to. So my dad is a avid hiker and, and loves rocks. And so for his 70th birthday, I, you know, what do you get your parents when they're 70? They want time. And so I gifted him a trip down the Grand Canyon whitewater rafting for seven days and hiking. And then we hiked out. And during that time, I had no kids, not my partner wasn't there, and I you had no cell phone service. And so it was such an eye-opening moment to be with other people, other adults, but feeling like a kid again and interacting purely on a human level because there was no outside stressors, there was no outside manipulation, like there was no distraction, and it really transformed my routine in being even more actively present and also saying like, gosh, I was out of the 20 people that were on the trip, 17 were 60 and above, which was mind blowing. And so I, I talked to them. I said, you know, we didn't talk once about what they did and what they accomplished at all. You know, sure. What did you dabble in? But it wasn't like they wrote out their accolades of how much they've accomplished and they were a B Corp and they did this, this, and this. It was I have these kids and this is where they live and this is what I do with my time. And so I think it was just a a very eye-opening moment to say, wow, you know, I've got to be mindful in what I'm doing and how I'm doing because you you only it's so short and fleeting. And and I think that's also part of that 40s entry point. You know, when you're in your 40s, you start to see the end a little bit more than kind of climbing the hill before that and makes you more aware of what is it I want to do. And and I'm still conflicted, still trying to figure it out, but trying to really share those moments on Instagram because I feel the need to use our platform to share my one small experience. It's, it's, it's a blip in the radar of life. You know, we were looking at rocks in the canyon that were 1.5 billion years old. So we mean nothing But if my moment can impact one person to see some of my struggles or my triumphs as a something that will propel them to to do something or change, I feel like that is that that is part of this business of what it taught me, what I needed to do and and giving me that platform. It really feels like thematically to me, I, I see this through a lot of different things that we've we've talked about where it feels like there's this sense for you of you operating in a lot of ways. I don't know if this is conscious or not, but as a facilitator of sorts of facilitator of other people's experiences and such, not just that, but that seems to be such a big piece of how you go about uh, both the business, but what you're talking about with sharing these moments and what you're hoping for people to get out of them is, is that something that's conscious or something that's just there or what? 
it's not necessarily conscious now that you pointed out something I will definitely unpack after this. You know, I think we're eternally, I would hope, learning about ourselves and trying to become better people. And, you know, you use your environment as you go through life to hopefully keep awareness and looking at who you are to improve upon that, be it starting a business. There's so many pain points in a business can, that can really open your eyes to who you are and how you can change to become better in this world. And same with being a parent and just age in general. Maybe the facilitator part is too much credit. I think it's more just unintentional fumbling. Sometimes unintentional fumbling leads us to, to productive places, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> So along, along the way, you know, we always have obstacles and challenges. And so I'm interested if you have any stories of things of real big challenges or obstacles that you've faced and had to, to work through or sort out that you would be interested in sharing with us. Yes. So this one I have been waiting to share. It was an extremely difficult thing that I had, I went through. We had a lot of growth and I was in hyper alpha masculine energy mode, driving forward, growth, 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 growth. And one of the big things that takes you from being a solo business to a business is people. And I forgot about that component. You know, I was driving the the bus or the machine forward for growth without acknowledging the component of a team is what gets you there. Like the second that you hire somebody, you change your business, not from being yours, but to being responsible to the environment and the space that you create for the people that are helping you build your business. And I don't think that there's enough tutorials or books on that connector. I think we all talk about, oh, I was in a garage and then I got to this point and this point and that, and you know, there's these podcasts about growth and how I built this and how I got there. But the most important thing is actually the people who get you there. And so during the fall of 2021, my entire team quit overnight with no week's notice. And they wrote a letter. One of them wrote a letter. A lot of them just gave the standard, you know, whatever, but one wrote a letter and it was that that I held on to, to really unpack what had happened and how I had failed as a leader. And it led me down a year and a half discovery of how important it is to lead and to be aware and to listen and to communicate. Brene Brown says that, you know, you have wounds and then scars. And when you can finally reflect on something that has changed you. It's become a scar. It's become part of your story. And that wound has now been healed. And I would not be the person I am today without that very painful time because I I, I had a lot of shame during that time that I had I'd messed things up and it was all my fault. And a lot and everything, you know, leading up to it was, you know, I I just didn't know. I wasn't aware of the energy that I was bringing to the table. And so I hired a business coach and she's actually more of a personal essence coach. And she has been transformative in my work of understanding masculine and feminine or energy and, and how we lead and how we want to be. And, and that translates then to how I relate to my team. And I'm not perfect. I'm still working through understanding how do you give directives and then how do you have expectations, you know, but the canyon, the river chill really changed me to say, you know, at the end of the day, none of that stuff really matters. It matters how I'm going to connect and communicate and leave this space and this memory of the team that I've been working with. But it took people quitting. I worked probably 18 hours during the holidays. I didn't see any of my family to catch up and get through it and leaned on team. And I listened to Brene Brown's Dare to Lead podcast at five in the morning in the dark. I did the, the deliveries. You know, I, I learned from those lessons and I no longer see it as a shameful moment, but a, a moment that helped me to grow and understands my shortcomings. And, but most importantly, how I changed that. We can only remove ourselves from shame, I think, if we say, okay, now how do I learn from that? So that's been a big motto is, is it's not a mistake. It's a learning moment. 
I think that's such a important and powerful pivot for folks to to make along the way for sure. Obviously, you've got the the piece about recognizing that the team needs to be needs to be valued. What other takeaways as far as that experience would you say you've had or take to how you engage with and work with your team now and going going forward? How's that changed how you approach that part of things? Yeah, so that was a big self-reflective time still is. I think a lot of people as entrepreneurs, you you operate in a silo and you have an idea and you operate at a pace that is foreign to most of the world. It's a very go-getter attitude. You can burn the midnight oil and you don't understand when you hire somebody why they aren't at that same pace. And so it leads to kind of an underlying current of frustration or it did for me, you know, like, well, well, we can be more efficient with our time here and there. And it's really taught me that I am the leader to help propel this business, but the team does not need to be my replacement. The team is the soul. And if they're happy, you know, like happy wife, happy life, you know, happy team, happy business. And it's not always perfect, but the way we combat that is that I have onboarders sign a declaration of communication where we talk about, I'm radically responsible for my time at Luft, meaning it's not just me and what the business provides, but it's also your responsibility to bring things to the table when things are uncomfortable and that we're going to provide a safe space to talk about that so that we're in communication together. I've really wanted to figure out how to tackle workplace resentment. And it's something that is just part of our nature. You know, oh, I hate my job. I hate my boss. And it's hard because sometimes, you know, a lot of the things that you place on blame at work is actually personal. You know, it's something that you need to work through as an employee or, you know, in your own space. But how can you provide at least a space where we can come in as one person and then leave a better person? You know, like I want to absorb as much as I can from this amazing human and say, wow, I can't believe that you, like every time I ask you a question, you look up and you smile. And it's like, I love that. That's so amazing. Like I've adopted that into my life and how I respond to people and that people can teach us so much. And I have lots of work to do. And when you're put on a leadership level, you're going to be more exposed, right? And so that is part of your job is to say, I've got these faults and I've got to figure out how to fix them. It sounds like there's really one, an awareness for your part about the importance about being able to be open and vulnerable about, you know, the truth of you as an imperfect human who's a work in progress, like all of us, but, but also this piece about not just creating the, the safe space for your team to be able to speak up, but also the expectation that they will, and really working to produce an environment where things rather than getting shoved under the rug until we're all tripping over them, that they really get attended to and addressed. And it sounds like that's a, a fundamental piece of what's helping the team to operate better at this point for you. Yeah, I think it's transparency. And then we make sure that when we leave that conversation, it is done. If it's not done, we keep talking or we come back to it when we need to, you know, that resentment in the workplace is just something that builds. It never goes away. And so it's a delicate balance of wanting to make sure somebody feels very valued and appreciated, but then the work is also done, you know, that there are expectations met. And so you toggle so many viewpoints, I think, as you're trying to build a team and an environment that is respectful and certainly there is no handbook for this. I, I think that Brene Brown is, is is diving into those, but at bigger levels, not at the small business level. And I think we could use a lot of guidance and leadership in what does it mean to build a small team, 10 and under? You know, that that is a, a very fragile ecosystem that that deserves guidance, you know, because these are those small businesses that keep your micro communities going. It's not the Amazons and the Bed Bath and Beyond that failed, or you know, it's not those big ones. It's it's that undercurrent of all of your neighborhood and your community because at the end of the day, we still need connection to people. So we need to, to really give these small businesses as much of the resources. And so we need somebody to write a book. Well, maybe you could. Yeah. 
No, I don't. I don't think I'm qualified, but I can certainly add add precedences for the for the person who could write it. At least a case study for a um, case study. You for, got it. for somebody to to make use of for sure. But I think yeah, you you point out this this balancing act of yes, of wanting to make sure that people are heard and that people you know get to have have a space to to speak their truths and to to air out the resentments and such, but also the need for getting the work done. And and these balancing acts are always a challenge in in business, but especially for someone who is running a small business. So I'm curious for you, like how you balance all the different pieces of this puzzle that is left between you know the big installations the retail locations your employees how do you balance all these different things day to day i i think it's stepping back my partner is an incredible human being who is as i've watched from afar and observed how he deals with scenarios you know you really try to listen and and not respond a lot of times i think we just all need to be heard and so as long as we can communicate, that's first and foremost. And I think the other thing is just clarity in the role and responsibilities. And how can we be uber clear that these are the things? And as a small business, it's really tough because you blend over so many roles because you need to help each other out. And there isn't a defined role for HR or, you know, all these all these different things. So I, I think it's for me, it's really trying to let things go more so than you would think, you know, to say, well, it's not a mistake or it's not an issue. Where's the the learning moment? Hey, we forgot this, this, and this, this is what happened. How do we make that process better next time? And try to kind of almost look at it from more of a corporate standpoint in this sense, if that makes sense, you know, that it's, it's not about the person, it's about the work. I, I think that yeah, de- depersonalizing it and and just finding perspective on on this question of how big a deal is it really are both important things in at least us keeping things at their proper scope and size rather than than blowing them up larger than they are supposed to be because I'm I'm thinking about like you blow up a balloon too big and that doesn't go well either. It's the same thing if we take these situations yeah. or challenges and we we get them out of proportion. So it sounds like for you, it's really trying to to maintain that perspective on one, what matters and two, how big a deal is it really? Exactly. You've hit the nail on the head and I love the analogy. So for you and for love, what's next on your journey? You know, I really love for somebody to hear what we're doing and what we're, what I'm trying to accomplish. And, you know, I'm a big believer that what you don't know, you don't know. So like you got to seek out help or advice. And I, I know there's a nugget here, Steve. I know that what we're doing, there's something magical. And I, and I do want to share it with more communities and, but I need help getting to that next step. So I'm really kind of manifesting, you know, whether it's going back to attend a, there's like a business school at Goldman Sachs that helps small businesses and to really understand the business component, because I know for a fact, I've got our mission down inside and outside. I know who we are. And I know how we operate. I know I know our business inside and out. And I feel really good about that. I'm getting to the point where, how do I get to share this with the larger national world, if that's possible? And if that's something I want to do. But right now, we are definitely enjoying at least a six-month period of no major moves, openings, changes, just kind of enjoying the holidays. Taking taking a minute, it sounds like, or or a few months on the on this kind of plateau in the space you're at to in, enjoy that. But it does sound like you've got really some awareness or some vision that there's there's some things here that could be of value to others and uh, really a desire to help find a way to to help others be able to learn from your experience and take some of these these lessons here and apply them on their own respective journeys. You nailed it. Awesome. I love that. I think that's really great. So, so important from the standpoint of community, right? Because there's all these, especially when you think about it with small businesses, there are all these small businesses and there are so many and they're so important to really the fabric of our economy, but often under recognized or under supported. So I really love the, the idea of what you're wanting to do there. Thanks. Now for folks who are interested in learning more about you and what you're up to and checking out your stuff, I think probably your Instagram and your website would be the best places to go as an entry point. You got it, luftballoonstore.com. And then our handle for Instagram is 
balloon. Cool. And definitely, like I said, worth, worth checking out uh, both and worth the Instagram is, is worth a follow uh, for multiple reasons. One, again, that the, the installation, the pictures of the installations are great. They always bring this nice color and festivity to my, to my Instagram feed. Uh, but also again, I really do appreciate you um, sharing some of your personal experiences and things there. Um, because I think that's a, again, for anyone who is on the journey of running a business, it is, it's helpful. It's always helpful to see and hear others' experiences. And I think you're, you're not trying to put some shiny polish influencer sort of thing on it. It feels very real and very genuine. And I think there's a lot there that others who are doing small business will find uh, relatable and, and helpful for them. So definitely check both of those, those places out. And Elaine, really grateful to have the opportunity to, to talk business and talk balloons with you and, and to talk design too a little bit. So thanks, thanks so much for the time and being a guest on the podcast. Hey, it's Steve. If you enjoyed the show, I have a small favor to ask. If you wouldn't mind taking just a few minutes to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show, it'll help more people become aware of it. It'll help me serve more people. Really appreciate it. Catch you next time.